1: zencaster
0: um well i know zencaster has been updating a lot uh they've added well the video earlier this year and you can choose record video record only audio watch video you know multiple options but now they've added transcriptions
1: which i think is really cool okay i saw that i saw the note of automatic transmission but but. Yeah, <laughs> regression testing, you know, when you push new features, you got to make sure your old features don't crap out. <laughs> well, that's
0: true. And I used Zencaster oh, yesterday, God. and it was fine. So, and I didn't use Zoom. I have found if I use Zoom, I have to reboot or Zencaster doesn't pick up my audio. But I haven't used Zoom for weeks. Okay, so I'm going to rant for a moment. We talk a lot of tech. I don't want to talk tech all day. I want to talk horror movies. Okay. But a while back, I said, hey, I wonder if Google Drive would be a better choice for cloud than OneDrive from Microsoft. So okay. I looked and compared, and for a few dollars less a year, I get more storage on Google. Okay, that makes sense. It doesn't. I don't care what I'm using. I can use either. So I started switching everything over. That was almost a month ago, and not everything has synced up and uploaded to the cloud. It is so freaking slow literally i won't see it move and i have to stop shut the service down and restart it to get anything to upload and a day later it's like 0.1 gig has uploaded that's it
1: wow so on a much smaller scale i've noticed that because what i've been trying to do you know i I develop on my desktop because that's where i have my multi-monitor setup and so forth and this is for my presentations that i'm doing for the comic book course at baldwin wallace well when i um uh, do that, put something into the cloud and in this case it's not Google or Onedrive, it's also Apple. I um, it automatically syncs various different things and I can't find a way to like force it to sync now except um, have it download a whole bunch of stuff to me as well as upload my latest version. So then I watch it go through all the various different downloads, which I really don't care about and it doesn't seem to give me an indication that an upload is occurring yeah. But then eventually it's up there because I go to my laptop where I really want to have it be. And that's when I see this list that has not moved for a long time. Suddenly the file appears. So what I've started to do, you know, we all develop right, workarounds. I have a thumb drive that I pop into the back as a USB port. And I make sure we've talked about this also. When you do pro- programs, you always have redundancy. You don't count on the cloud being available and the Wi-Fi being good. And the uh, so I have this on a thumb drive. And after a while, it's going to be, I'm not going to wait on the cloud. Whatever algorithm it's got that says, do it in the background. So you're not disrupting somebody's work, but then it looks to make sure there's like no activity or such a minimal amount of activity that if you're doing anything, it never engages. And so like you're saying, you get 0.1% when you want it to like complete, I can't be safe until you've done this first upload. Oh man. And
0: and worse with Google drive, I check uh, my system resources and it's like 46% system resources, but I don't see anything getting uploaded. I'm like, you're using half my CPU. What the heck are you doing? Yeah. I mean, you know, so you're uploading the, files.
1: The directory compare is taking all the work. It's not actually sending anything over the price, right. It's kind of weird. Yeah, I, I have a friend Greg that we've been talking about that. that he's really, um, he wants to make sure that he has access to all of his email all the time, and that especially if. Um, As you know, there's a difference between POP and IMAP servers. And that, you know, IMAP, you get where it keeps on the server and you get the um, synced shadow copy. Right. right. But then you can also see that from multiple places. So I have most of mine as IMAP servers because I want to be able to get to it from my desktop and my phone and my laptop and just that. Right. But if ever there's a time when I want to make sure that it's been downloaded to me and no matter what they do, that I can still get to it. There were a couple of things that was like, I really have made the switch. But for a while I was doing POP because I said, I'll take care of all my own stuff and I'll make sure I have backups and never lose email. And now he's finding out that even though he wants to change to pop, like on Google's uh, drive service or you know, their mail service, like pop is now grayed out or it appears sometimes and then sometimes doesn't. And so my explanation to him was, well, I know that Google, the way, the reason they give you a free Gmail account is because in the contract print, it says, we're not gonna use anything from what you have out there personally, but well, we are going to continually read all your mail and do all of our statistics as to what's being talked about. Uh, you know how long or shorter emails, whatever interesting summary statistics they get, and so that's why they don't want you to have the ability to delete from their servers because to them all your email is a vast data store, and they don't want to lose right. that portion of the data. So, and, and,
0: <laughs> and, and it, 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 you know we were talking a bit last week about uh, choices people make, and that we we shake our heads, we can't believe. Some people believe certain things or, you know, people get so paranoid about security, but in the wrong way. And then in other ways that, you know, they, they download and use free apps that are spyware. They use things like Gmail and say, oh, it's fine. But then you say, hey, uh, you know, give me, oh, I can't give you my password. That'd be insecure. Well, you're using the same <laughs> password for 50 different sites. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, and, and I, I will quick confession. Uh, Mm -hmm. I did a stupid person thing this past week and totally my fault. I knew better. I shouldn't Uh have done it. And it was exactly what we were condemning last week. So last night I ate some chicken soup with dumplings and it spiked my blood sugar to 170 and I knew it would, but I told myself I've been exercising and eating good. It should be okay.
1: Nope. Each of those dumplings, a little bomb of carbs, right? It was absolutely. Oh, boy.
0: Uh, and, and okay, so here's my other conspiracy theory rant. And I don't normally jump on this bandwagon, not because I love Microsoft and want to defend them, but I think sometimes they're unfairly and unjustly condemned. And I really do believe that because Windows 11 is coming out, that whatever these last couple updates in Windows 10 were, it was slowing everything down on purpose. Because there are things, you know we've talked about this, how I work 36 tabs open seven different programs, all running at the same time. Right. Uh, now I can barely run one program without it spiking my CPU and taking up all my resources. Wow. I haven't changed anything. It's not like I've installed Google drives. The only thing, but I'll turn Google drive off. I'll turn my cloud backup off. I will turn multiple other internet things off. And, and it's, you know, one thing running and, I can't use my computer, my mouse is jumping all over the place. Whereas before I would be able to run, you know, seven different things with browser windows open.
1: Yeah. I I don't know about Windows in particular, but I know I've read unfortunately any number of kind of verified stories that at least hardware-wise, places start to do things to make your hardware less usable. So you'll want to upgrade. And whether that's slowing down Wi-Fi or like you said, multiple operations. You're used to a certain palette of things that you always have available and can click amongst. And then the, they don't make it stop working, but they add to the aggravation. And after a while, you're like, what I need is a faster CPU. What I need is a new machine. And, and they've been caught. But then this is, I've always hated this. You find out, wow, they paid $100 million. You know, a fine, a huge fine. Yeah, but they made $7 billion. That's a routing error. That's a nothing. That's the the cost of doing business. That's the Pinto defense way of thinking about things. They lose
0: that many processors through error and packaging and stuff.
1: Exactly that. And so I don't think it's paranoid when you see there really are people making those decisions. I will never buy a Volkswagen because in order to work with uh, pollution control, they worked actively on how to defeat it. How to fake test results so that they look better than they were, and how to not have, like the, they said, we don't care about burning up the planet; we care about making sure that we can point to a chart and say, "Look, the Jetta is a fine performing machine." And it wasn't that they snuck by; they actively worked on how to how do they do testing, and how do we make it so that we can stunt those statistics. That's incredible corporate malfeasance. You know what I mean? It was a, and it was. It's never the corporation shell that you have to worry about. Who's the person that has that much power that can make that decision and force all their underlings to do it so they can actually do something so fraudulent, so damaging, so evil, man, uh, this world, man, it just and those psychopaths, those sociopaths that are willing to do that kind of stuff. They have all the skills to rise in corporations. They don't have any empathy. They have single minded obsession over success. They're willing to lie their pants off. That's like corporate America. I
0: I have to do this. I am only worth $3.4 billion. I I need to, really? I I wouldn't be able to spend $3.4 billion. I mean, partly because I have no desire or need to own my own Boeing 747. There's no need for that.
1: I I just, you know, you might've seen this quote. I just read a quote of like, you know, multiple uh, uh, businessmen and authors and so forth are mingling at a party. And Kurt Vonnegut tells a story about how, you know, someone talks about, hey, I have $3.4 million and you as an author, how successful has your life been? And he goes, well, I have one thing that you'll never have. Really? What's that? Enough. And that, whatever that solace in your spirit that comes from, I'm good. I got my wonderful house and wife and books and health. And that it isn't this continual treadmill of Somebody else has 3.5 billion. I'd better get on it. I'd yeah. better do whatever's necessary to catch I, and exceed.
0: It, it, well, if, I, yeah. if I had enough socked <laughs> away or whatever, that I would know that if me or Gina had a major heart surgery or a major hospital problem, that we'd cover it and could continue living. Yes. Uh, that would be enough that we could go on vacation and eat you know, that we wouldn't have to do things like, okay, well, we get paid tomorrow. So let's just buy one gallon of milk tonight and tomorrow, you know, not that we have to do that all the time, but you 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 know, the car, (laughs) Oh God, the car suddenly needs $3,000 in repairs and being able to just do that without having to think about it.
1: sometimes. I I think I came up with this. So I might've read references to it in other ways. You know, there's different levels of rich. And like early on in my life, I was candy bar rich. At any time I could buy a candy bar and it would not disrupt my lifestyle. Right. And then you get to where well I'm kind of meal rich. I can any like, I don't know like, how much can you spend on a meal without going the crazy fugu or gold thousand dollar meal route. Right. I can go out and get a hundred dollar meal whenever I want. And it isn't like, wow, now I gotta watch it for the rest of the month. Right. And as you move up and you get, well, no, I'm car rich and I'm house rich. And one day I'll be island rich. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like you keep on getting these levels of I can wear whatever clothes I want, I can it and it is that thing don't disrupt your lifestyle don't be I, of course i'm continually part of me is always doing the consumer reports thing what am i trading off in order to get this and when i buy i don't know i have so much music do i really need the next one well yeah because it doesn't bother me to have the next one i can actually i've, I've worked hard to be able to afford those things right so whatever it is that people don't ever get that that they like i'm not yet world rich i'm not yet you know what i mean i <laughs> Wow. Like you
0: said, you know, the, the, you and I talk about this at times, you and Colleen, you got fall leaves behind you with your Zoom background. Exactly. And, you know, that's a joy. You can't pay for that. You can't buy that. I can have $3.4 billion and be living in a high rise tower in New York City, and I won't see the trees or walk through the forest. That's and that right. didn't cost anything
1: for that. Yeah. Perpetually, that I mean, that's what we do is there's so many things to be found. And it gets kind of funny. It's not for free. We pay our taxes so these things right. can be maintained and the roads and that kind of stuff. But it absolutely is. I don't have to worry about what do mm-hmm. I give up to go walking in beautiful leaves in the fall? And I'm glad we're like that. I think that's definitely something that I got from my parents. You know, I watched them go through very lean times where it really was borrowing money from one of the kids' piggy banks to be able to make rent, even when rent was, and an, an, you know, 90 bucks a month and mortgage was 120 a month or whatever else it might be. But having said that, as they got more successful, they didn't become, you know, what would you call it? Overspenders. And like, well, now that I have all this money, I think I'll find a way to kill myself with it. I'm going to eat until I bloat. I'm going to, you know what I mean? Uh, They didn't have, they were uh, like, I've I've always striven for this, if that's a word. Like addictions are what will screw you up. And so when someone has an addiction to, classics, whether it's alcohol or gambling or some kind of drug, but even just the act of consuming. You know what I mean? My parents were not like, what's entertainment? Shopping. Yeah. Very practical about just not always having to accumulate more. And they were very good about like raising the kids and teaching that lesson to us that you, you make plans and you execute your plan and you're going to see, well, you know, for Christmas, I have $25 to spend. Am I going to spend it on in one lump, a bike that I want, or am I going to get five, $5 games or whatever like that? And that little exercise of seeing the trade-offs and stuff like that and making a little spreadsheet back when it wasn't spreadsheet, it was just a list. I remember like getting a whole bunch of puzzles where I kind of had it down to it, came out to 25.01 and it's like, I'll contribute the penny as long as I can get the fishy puzzle. And it I think that they must've been not only like seeing how happy I was with my puzzles, but also happy that I had internalized, this is how you make your choices. Are you going to get gym shoes? Or are you going to get puzzles? And of course, sometimes it's driven not by just want. Birthdays were often gifts. It wasn't things that you needed. It was things that you wanted outside of. Of course, my mom and dad are going to clothe us, but I don't know. <laughs> it, and, and we've seen the world shift. If like I was going to get my regular kids and go to the, you know, whatever Buster Brown store or something like that. But when you step up from like a $10 pair of shoes to a 70, because you got to have those Air Jordans, maybe it's time to have the kid learn. You can't have you can have anything you want. You can't have everything. Right. And some things like you got to be aware of the sacrifice that you're making. Yes. That could be seven, $10 pair of shoes and you're going to get one pair. Do you really need that particular thing or whatever it is, the status that goes with it, the specialness, the, the, the love of your peers, because you are so cool, which, and finishable.
0: which is actually <laughs> an important lesson to do with the kids. You want that $70 pair of shoes. Great. You can have it. Oh right. no, we can't order pizza this Friday because we spent seventy dollars on shoes. Oh, we can't—you uh, yes. know—go to the movies because you wanted to. And that's—you know—you you can do that with the kids. Some of them get it, and some don't. My daughter got it when she was younger and lost it when she got older. Oh boy, uh, you yeah. Know, so,
1: yeah. I don't know, but, and I still talk about that. You know, we have all kinds of things that that it's always been important to us to like be the master of our expenses and. We we have had of course debt. You can't have a house without having a mortgage. But when you actively work on getting the, having that be paid off, and then that mortgage payment is like available to you for other things. Well, in some cases, like let's go wild and go spending. No, now we could actually stack up the money. And what are we going to buy? The security that you were talking about, the safety of we've got so much resources that now indeed, if one of us had health problems that insurance didn't cover. It wouldn't pauperize us, which unfortunately is a classic standard tale in the United States. The most bankruptcies are associated with medical expenses. I believe Let's not go down that road. Let's not be those fools. And it's not fools. It is happenstance often. But the grasshopper and the ant would say, if you have done nothing to prepare for bad times, like my sympathy does not go out to you when you hit the bad times. Right. You could have been preparing. You know, if you're the person that lives on the river and the the river washes away your house, but you didn't get insurance, I'm going to help the people that did plan ahead, build first. And you've got to be, you got to go into beggar mode because you didn't do anything yeah. to save yourself. You can't just demand now. I, I, I <laughs> you know I've, what I
0: mean. So <laughs> I, I preach that. That's a contention occasionally with me and my wife because we've got multiple kids that are grown like five out of six. Yeah. So yeah. my thought is, Hey, we've tried to tell you, you know, when you're doing something, we'll tell you, this is what you should, shouldn't do whatever. But when you make a choice that then it negatively affects you, I'm not going out of my way and ruining my life to help. And I, I'm, I, and I live and,
1: with the choice. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And, and I, nice. yeah. Not to call any of them out, but we have one child right now that, either quit his latest job or was fired. We aren't completely sure, okay. but it's the second time this year uh, that basically Lord. he just woke up and said, well, I'm not working there anymore and stopped working there. And so okay. as of now this year, he's had four weeks off of not working this whole year. Okay. And I'm like, okay, get up, get out of bed, go find a job. It's been two weeks already. You should be working somewhere. There's plenty of jobs. And, and, you know, I don't see it. Well, I have applied. Where? Dollar General. Well, Dollar General is always hiring. You should have a job right now then.
1: You hey, know? Don't put all your eggs in one basket. How about applying to 12 different places that's what your odds go up?
0: That's what I said. If you really want a job, you would have applied to 10 places today. You would have called others. No. Is it going to be the best job ever? Do you have to keep it forever? But you don't quit a job before you have another one. And then he's <laughs> no like, well, hey, that. I need to borrow some money for the car payment. No, you don't. You call them and tell them you don't have a job. Let them defer it. Add on to that. I am not paying that for the month. And that's caused some issues. But no, I, I'm not redoing my life because you made a really bad choice. Yeah. You know. And, and then when, when you go and say, hey, get up, go take the dogs out. Well, oh, I stayed up late. I was sleeping. I don't care. I'm working. Why should I take the dogs out?
1: <laughs> You're not working. Do something. Yeah. You know what? It's kind of funny. I always try to think of we we might philosophize because we've had some life under our belts but there really are we're not the only ones the, to bring it to geekery man there are a thousand apps now this is not a you and me problem this is a since humanity has existed problem <laughs> i'm sure that the first egyptian that had to decide between am i going to buy an amphora of mead or am i going to buy new sandals you know right. they, they, they there's never been a time when Resources haven't been scarce and people had to decide where they're going to invest their time, et cetera, et cetera. Especially, if you will, in a capitalist world. It might be that when you were a peon, you had no choice but to work the land. But having said that, nowadays, there are apps that will be happy to tell you all about how to spend your money, how to manage your money, what to be thinking about while you're doing it, how you can take all those little extras and round them up to put them in a savings account. And gush, in a year, look, you really have savings instead of having frittered it all away. And that in the, in the, all the psychology, all the practicality that goes into that, if you choose not to use one of those apps in an era when everybody has a cell phone, I, again, have little sympathy. Right. The lessons are there. There's books to read. There's parents to listen to. If you just, I'm, I'm going to do it my own way. Well, but there is a best way. There is a best practices that if you wanted to just kind of cut to the chase and get to a good way to do it, it might be that it doesn't involve discipline. It involves being conscious of the trade-offs that you're making, and the short, medium, and long-term, and all those things. But you have to learn <laughs> to think that way because yeah. maybe mom and dad will have forever love for you and and support and sympathy for you. The world couldn't give two shits. They are going to be beating you down if you don't learn how to defend yourself right. against all the ways in which there there are. That is indeed what's necessary in life, and and I know. On on the net, there's all the I, I understand this that us talking about how it was when we were young and what it might apply nowadays, it doesn't necessarily translate when college costs have gone up, medical costs have gone up, rent, all the major expenses are really difficult. But then I remember it might only be proportional when I couldn't afford rent on my own. I got roommates. I lived in a house in college with a dozen people. Like, what did I give? No privacy, always having having to like. Is everybody doing the house jobs? There's a, a mindset that you put yourself into. If I if I want privacy and independence, I'm going to have to earn it because the world is not lining up to give it to me. Right, and right. in every other way, if I'm worried about health, when you're young, you feel indestructible. And, and, then, and if a bad thing happens, you get a bad toothache and you don't have medical insurance. And so you have to pay for it. What that did for me was I can't ever let this happen again. I can't have it that I get a toothache and my next quarter is ruined. All the concerts I wanted to go to, all the dates I wanted to take my sweetheart on to, you know what I'm trying to say? It's like, if you don't want to learn, then I don't know what to tell you. It might be that the situations have changed, but and it might be that it's, I don't know, more unfair, but that doesn't change the fact that while you're working, you can also be working on changing an unfair system. You can't just kind of pull back and say, the system is unfair, and I'm going on strike, because I don't know how that's going to fix anything either. Talk to your parents and say, "Hey, maybe you made it. Maybe you are in an unfair system, but you've managed to get ahead of it. Like, how about if not only you stay ahead, but you also help your successors to to have a less unfair system?" Yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> and that and, uh,
0: thinking, uh, one of the things I'm trying to work with now with kids and parents because I know there's a lot of people, Oh, I worked since I was 16 and you know, I made my own way and on and on. And that's great. I, I think that's fantastic. A lot of those people have it together. You talk to them. It's like, well, I'm, I'm, I am i do not have my house paid off, but I've never missed a mortgage payment. Uh, my car, I, I, I have low interest and I'm making the payments on it and we always have food on the table. You know, they've done well, they've done that, yeah. but they've kind of put the glass ceiling for themselves in their mind they're always well you know i've worked hard for somebody else what they tell me to do when they tell me to do it and how much i'm going to get paid for it and
1: right. and that I, lesson of becoming an entrepreneur and not yes. answering to any master but actually getting everything you do it comes back to you instead of filters that's one
0: of the mindsets i'm trying to work with parents for kids now because there's a lot of like you said with the apps there's a lot of opportunities that kids can start now doing some of these things, learning some of these skills. I mentioned to you, I interviewed that Evan Skolnick who was a comic book writer and a video game writer. And uh, those, uh, you know, one of the biggest things he said was people just need to get experience and do it because I don't care if you graduated from high school. I don't care if you have a degree uh, in an MFA in writing. I don't care if you've uh, gone through computer science. Right. The guy that shows how many
1: projects you've worked on.
0: He said, the guy that shows up that didn't go to college but has worked on five different video games, he's going to get hired before the guy with college. He's like, so, and I'm like,
1: experience. And that
0: is something kids can start now. There are kids that are, you know, in second, third, fourth grade working with tablets. There are apps and programs they can use to make little video games. They can learn the structure of a story and writing. So you get a conflict and how to resolve it and develop yeah. the characters and turn that into the video game. And by the time they get through high school and they've kept advancing their skills, well now they're creating multiplayer games with other people, different disciplines all working together. And they go out into the world and they can say, well, you know, I, I did this. And well, heck, you're hired. Who needs exactly. college? Who needs a hundred fifty thousand dollar debt when I'm getting Game people to hire me now,
1: exactly. And you know, that's
0: a whole different mindset
1: than our world yeah. has been in. Another, it's kind of funny, you know. I I have learned so much by reading, not having to go through it myself. You get to live a thousand lives and right. just about other people's experiences. And so I remember, you know, when I was first starting to be an entrepreneur, I didn't think, well, I'll just figure this out on my own. I read entrepreneur books, the e-myth and how spend your time doing the thing that you can do that not everybody else in the world can do and farm out a lot of your other stuff. But having said that, there was also really wise things like, you know, if you're going to work for someone, nothing matters more in so many ways than the 20 minutes of the job interview where you're, what are you going to pay me? You, if you go high or go low, if you have some Idea of risk versus reward, and some idea of confidence, and some idea of your real market value. You don't have to let the rascals set you ten thousand dollars less than what you should be making, and then forever after pay the price for having been pegged lower than your real worth. Because other jobs are going to say, "Well, I'll pay you five percent more." Yeah, but I started off ten percent less. Well, uh, that's not my problem, is it? And so, being a hard ass in that ten, you know, twenty minutes of salary negotiation can set you up or good or bad forever, if you will. Right. And and some of the only ways of breaking out of that were to become an entrepreneur and say, I set my rates. I don't have, anyway, my negotiation is this is my price and you paid or you don't, but I'm not worried about what, what are the grades, the uh, E through one through 37. And I'm going to start off as an E seven, but I hope to work my way up to an E 13. You know what I mean? Right. You're not in this big restrictive system. And all you're doing is kind of maneuvering and jockeying instead of saying, No, this is my real worth. I'm aware of my scarcity. I'm aware of what I can do. I'm aware that I'm the premium. I'm really good at what I do. So I'm not your standard COBOL programmer. I'm really freaking good. And I can prove it because here's the list of projects. And the
0: the thing is, I have gotten, and this is a little secret. uh, I have gotten multiple jobs just by being very brazen, by saying, I know I can do that. I don't really know how right now, and I don't have all the information right now. I know I can do that. I I got my job on the cruise ship by sending out a letter to agents saying, hey, I am at the University of Akron. I'm a music major. I play in the jazz orchestra, upright bass. I play electric bass uh, in this orchestra, and I'm first chair on the jazz ensemble, which I was.
1: Yes. so i made sure I, you do not do any padding but you just put all of it out there yes
0: yeah. i didn't tell them that i haven't played out 200 gigs i didn't say that i said i was first so i told the truth i just used where i was i, I got the young composer award my first year at school Very so cool. uh i can put that <laughs> down so the, i some of the things i tell i'm telling parents the kids need confidence they need to know what their skills are. I knew what, I could do it. So I sent agents and basically said, inferred, I, I could be a good bassist on a cruise ship. Literally two weeks later, I had a call. A week after that, I was working on a cruise ship.
1: How cool uh, is that? When yeah, I, every time it works, your confidence grows in terms exactly. of I know how to present myself. Yes. I know that I took a risk, but I won. And so the next risk is- I had, had to back it up. Because I stepped up. I had yeah. to back it up and I did. And I then cared. the
0: better one was- Uh, I got a job young out of school. I was doing data entry for an insurance company in Columbus. And my, this was like 97, 98. So, you know, computers were new to a lot of people. Uh, The manager spent four hours futzing around with these computers. He had a laser printer and two computers. Basically he was trying to get um, with an AB switch hooked up so you could switch, and he couldn't figure it out in four hours. So I watched him and at five o'clock, I clocked out. and I said, hey, uh, Mark, do you need some help? He goes, well, I don't think this is working. I says, well, I know a little bit. You know, I'll take a look at it. Five really? minutes later, it was working. And he says, wow, that's pretty good. I said, well, yeah, you know, and I talked to him and we were getting new computers for everybody. And I said, well, I'd love to work in the IT department. You know, keep me in mind.
1: I'll do the configuration. I'll do the right. thing. To make sure that there you go. Yeah, okay. And
0: so he said, well, we're not going to have our own department there was like 120 people in our office. We're going to use Tennessee. I'm like, Oh, I don't know if that'll work, but keep me in mind. Well, then the boss from Tennessee came up and he said, okay, we've got to get all these computers set up this week. And he gave me a list and here's the configuration for the first five work on these today. Okay. okay. At lunch, I'll take you to lunch and we'll talk. Okay. So we went to lunch and talked and stuff. And, uh, he goes, so, uh, how much more you have on that How's one? How's
1: that coming? Right? I said,
0: what do you mean that one? He says, well, you're the first one on the list. You have it." I said, I got all five of those done. I'm ready for, it. he's like, really? I didn't think you'd get five of them done today. And he's like, good for you, you man. know? So yep. they flew me to Tennessee for an interview. And okay. before that, I bought networking for dummies so I could learn all the terms. The terminology and yes. be able to at
1: least ask good questions. Exactly. And have base knowledge. I knew
0: good. I could figure it out and handle it. And obviously, I knew more than most of them did already, but mm-hmm. I had never worked networking, especially like with Windows 3.1 and okay. uh, all that jazz. But I knew enough I could back it up. So there what I'm saying is if we worked with more kids to give them those abilities rather than hovering over them and protecting them from everything in the world, yes. we would get more people with satisfied lives. There we go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so totally agree. You know, what I mean, I, I don't know one of the joys of being a smarty is, you know, you're adaptive smarts is like a universal tool that isn't like, I know how exactly how to weld, but I know I can learn to weld, Right. But I pay attention and I look at what works and what doesn't, whatever all the other factors are. So uh, that g- giving them confidence, giving them experience in a, uh, that the price of failure is low. And then they get confidence so that when, you know, just that, I know I've talked about this maybe too much, you know, I'm an investor nowadays. That's probably where I spend most of my income earning time. And the world of investment is so different that, and I competent, am I dependable? It's all about risk versus reward. Many of the things that may be a great consultant about my ability to explain things, my ability, you know, all that kind of stuff here, you just have to put everything in terms of risk versus reward. And it's very unnerving for a lot of people. So when I have those conversations, I perpetually have to say, you're, I know you're going to have to put on a different cap here. You're going to have to only think about, um, it isn't whether you picked it or not, or picked a single stock or not. You got to learn how to manage risk and get appropriate reward for the risk you're taking on. And when you don't, you're going broke slowly. And when you take on too much, you're wildcatting. And funny, it really might be that you go bust instead of, so I, I don't know, It there's there's lessons to be learned there. And, and um, I was lucky to... Um, I didn't know those lessons early in my life. I, When I first started to have a 401k, um, it was uh, put it into an S&P 500, let the index work right, for me, right. I'll buy the market, et cetera, et cetera. And that works to a certain extent. But then you find out, wow, if I ever take anything out of that, which I did because I got married and I had to pay for the marriage because her parents uh, um, should have looked for a better dowry. Uh, uh, honestly you know i mean i didn't get enough goats i didn't get <laughs> enough goats before i went through should have had a few <laughs> chickens thrown in there <laughs> exactly <laughs> but then you find out as everyone will tell you you know what matters more contributing twice as much for years 20 to 40 or contributing the right amount from years 10 to 20 out of that 40 year period and i did indeed shoot myself in the foot by having accumulated a certain money giving it back and then you've lost all those years of compound yeah. interest all those years of gain so i don't know another one of those things that how do you tell someone who like, what do they want a new car and to, to take their lady out and to take their guy out and whatever else it might be. And yet that, that little bit of developing a saving habit, that little bit of just make it automatic. So you don't make the choice all the time. It, those are such important lessons. And I, I wish that there was like in school, we've talked about this. There sure should be some civics lessons and some practical life lessons about Here's how to have a checking account. And here's how to have a savings account. and Here's how to have an investing account. And that these are, if you do this right, you're set up for life. And you don't, you're kind of set up for misery. You know what I mean? Or at least you're not going to get ahead in the easy way. You're going to have to be the one that writes the great song or the great book or has some kind of breakthrough. And that isn't most people's lot in life. That is the trying to hit the lottery in various different ways. Instead of saying, I don't know, the millionaire next door, they just did it gradually and it, and it still works out because you let time work for you instead of against you. Right. So, well, and, and like I said, geekery wise, there's things that do that for you nowadays. You know what I mean? If you have one of those apps that says, whenever I spend something, it rounds up to the next dollar and takes that 79 cents and puts it into a little savings account, or that it, it tells you about what stocks to buy, but it says, don't forget diversification. Don't only listen to Robinhood and say, I'm putting all my money into GameStop and then wow when that blows up then you're back to fucking square one right it's it's just important to have those things have that intelligence built into it and if you're not using it to like stay healthy lose weight save money etc cetera, etc cetera, you're really shooting yourself into the foot in, in the foot yeah
0: oh well yep. oh well <laughs> so all right uh um let's jump ping segue there you go that was smooth it.
1: wasn't it exactly
0: we've it's October, it's mid-October, and we were going to talk <laughs> horror movies.
1: We we keep threatening to do yes. so, yes. <laughs>
0: so tell me about, I know it's done, over with, but what was this uh, survey study they were doing?
1: So, as you might imagine, science, they say, how will we know what the scariest movie in the world is? We're going to hook people up with electrodes, and we're going to monitor their heart rate, and the fear is... That acceleration of heart, the pumping of adrenaline, the fight or flight response. And so they said, here's the state of resting heart rate. Here's how it gets elevated pretty much throughout the movie. And here's the biggest spike. And so, of course, I immediately have some issues because scariness is not only jump scares. It's not only the startlement. Sometimes it's perfect dread. Right. Sometimes, you know what I mean? And, (laughs) you know, that right there sounds like the premise of a horror movie. You know. yeah hooking kids up and yes. then saying can we make their heart explode Can right. we do this? you know what i mean so anyway. so, let, let's go to the stats it that this study says the most scary movie of all time is sinister Ooh. that the way in which it makes you continually be on the edge of your seat continually be heart elevated and especially the jump scare is really well done you know, another one of those places, they've only made a million horror movies. And so the million and first can learn from all the past and say, what's the way to set up the atmosphere and the characters and the unseen menace and the what are things that people are automatically afraid of? Hmm, how about snakes, uh, ghosts, or insects, being buried, whatever it might be. And some people are really skilled at doing that. Great horror movie directors know just how to have that camera angle looking over the shoulder as you're exploring the house. And then something moves just kind of out of the corner of your eye. And that's unnerving. So you're already getting all hepped up. So Sinister is the top one. It's Insidious in is number two. And I, so I think I've, I've seen many of these. And I, when I saw this list, I was like, all right, I really want to watch these. But I can't, like, watch them all in a row because I don't want to have a heart attack. i got to, like, kind of parse <laughs> them out. So that I, um, Let's see. The Conjuring and The Conjuring 2, which might be the only movie and sequel that made the list. Wow. Um, Hereditary um paranormal activity and i do remember that one being really unnerving that one, because the first one was got you while you're asleep and helpless ugh, that's that's a nightmare yeah, for a lot of people yeah. um it follows and another thing that they talked about was a lot of these things aren't like the science of movies big um budget uh, uh studio movies if you will it's that uh, uh an independent director an entrepreneur said i got a great idea and all i need is a certain amount of money and you can find you don't have to blow up worlds in order to get a good haunted house movie, right. a good I'm being chased through the forest movie or whatever else it might be. So it follows and it's not oh. one of those like um success stories where made for 300,000 and made 30 million. So whenever you get a big multiplier like that, people say, excuse me, Mr. And Mrs. Director, would you mind doing your next one for me? Right, you know right, what I mean? right. So you buy your freedom. Um The Conjuring 2, like I mentioned, um, The Babadook. which really was great and was such a great portrayal of if you don't have a reliable narrator how weird can the movie get you know what i mean wow maybe the person i've been getting my facts from is themselves not all there they're not rational um the descent and i remember Mm -hmm. that one that's the the caving movie anybody who's got any any touch of claustrophobia this will set it off and then finally (laughs) the visit and oh, so okay. of, some of these are like very I, I don't think the visit was that scary but okay so and i guess i guess that's if you will the science there's many other movies where they talk about best as opposed to scariest and that's where it's really well crafted and it tells a great story right, and right. there's some great actors and actresses in it and stuff like that and so any number of those lists would be a joy just to kind of work your way through for halloween you know and it's yeah, to yeah. get to all of october and the 31 best movies you know right. what i mean that kind well, of, they're already twelve behind or today 12 i think it is right so yeah
0: well of, i told okay. you uh, me and my friend reese uh are doing a horror podcast mm-hmm. a horror movie podcast it's called horror lasagna um <laughs> okay. it, it just we were just talking uh, and we were talking about the layers and how it all puts together and he goes yeah it's kind of like horror lasagna and we're like it's well like, there's the name that's it yeah exactly. it came out so <laughs> But Reese is unique in that he has watched over twelve hundred horror movies from which around is the world.
1: Encyclopedic. That's a yes.
0: Ton. That's okay. crazy. And we had a good discussion on this, and you're probably kind of the same way. As any study like that, it's very difficult to say broadly these are the scariest because different people react differently, obviously, and mm-hmm. different movies are set up for different types of scares. Which you know, the the ones okay. that give you nightmares and keep you up at night may not scare you as much like a jump scare but,
1: but they stay with you yes yes exactly
0: and you, and sometimes you get that those ones that are like a rich story that is just engaging and you can't tear away from it and personally i'm not like the slasher i don't even consider most slasher movies horror so much as you know thriller or something okay. uh and that's something we discuss is the genres, the subgenres for horror, of th- horror are so vast. You know, we make up our own sometimes because they just don't fit
1: well. Right. You know, it's kind of I so I think I mentioned before my best friend Stu and I growing up, we had sleepovers all the time, Fridays or Saturday night, sometimes both, and we would watch Screaming Yellow Theater in Chicago and creature features Friday and Saturday night. And so we got a wonderful exposure to old like 50s Roger Corman movies uh, and yeah. old hammer movies from the 30s, yeah, yeah, now, yeah. as well as more modern stuff. And uh, if you will, some of what, like whatever stayed with you from when you were that young, uh, we saw dozens, if not hundreds of those movies, but there are certain ones that I can still tell you to, to today, man, that was scary as hell. We we saw one called The Haunting of Hill House. Yes. It made multiple remakes of yes. it, but the original is kind of like classic thing. People are brought to a house. They all got to stay there in order to get the inheritance or something like that, but they're all in a house. And there's a scene where, Two women are rooming together, and they hear something coming. They're in the room, and they show the door. They hear something coming down the hallway, um, trying doorknobs. and so and the camera is really good at showing their faces, showing the thing. And they see, okay, we got the key in the door, and it's locked, so we're kind of safe. And and so they have a thing where you know you can see this shadow of feet at the door. Something is shovelled in front of them, and it gets you nearly know, theirs. Trying to, they're holding their breath to be really quiet and not want to be heard. And they see the feet move away and so they go oh, and also, adam, adam, this huge pounding on the door man I, Stu and i jumped wet ourselves screamed his father had to come out and say i work tomorrow morning you guys <laughs> can't be this loud <laughs> but it was that perfect cinematic setup of you get the relief of you think it's over and then the jump right you know i remember seeing the wicker man when we were young please please do jump in with your faves this is the one where there is no jump scare it's that ever building dread now and it's the original with edward woodward not the current one where people are in a small town in england and they're finding out that you know it it it, um they keep the old ways and by that meaning there's a big wicker man being built and in order to make sure they have a good crop that year Someone's going to have to go in the wicker man and be sacrificed. Human sacrifice. And the guy comes to realize that it's he's the outsider. They're not going to sacrifice one of the village. He's been caught in this web, and and him coming to that realization and seeing how everybody is being nice to him, but they're not letting him leave. And it just was like this: you're you're caught in this madhouse and you can't get out. And it's going to happen. And I, and he kind of resigns himself to his fate. And it's like man you know there go all my joys of let's go traveling deliverance plus wicker man means i don't want to go in any small town anywhere because right. they're all crazy so you know what i mean right so that stays with me forever of that ever building hopelessness oh man it's well terrible. That,
0: that movie <laughs> what you just described sounds an awful like lot like a twist on shirley jackson's the lottery, the lottery. Uh, you want to talk about something that stays with you that story Is one of my all time favorites. You know, I've read it multiple times and I know how it's going to end, but the way she builds it up and you suddenly understand what's going on, and it's like, oh, and and there's kind of my argument because if you're going to talk favorite horror movies, the ones I liked when I was 12 are completely different than the ones I like when I'm 50. Uh, there's a you know, so again, what scared me at 12 doesn't scare me at 50, and the ones you know are different, I might not have understood yeah oh exactly. yeah. uh, I, I one of the favorites that i is just you know you see it once and that's it is uh the sixth sense with um uh haley joel osmond Bruce, Bruce exactly.
1: Yeah. exactly it's not it a is. jump
0: scare it's not gonna make your heart explode but right. it's engaging you can't tear yourself away and then when you find out the twist it's like oh and it right. stays
1: with it's you forever crafted yeah absolutely yeah I, in some cases it isn't even the entire movie i remember specific scenes that will stay with you forever there we saw one called the horrors of the black museum where some guy is a museum curator and he's kind of gone mad and at one point someone takes a pair of like historic binoculars and holds them up and the guy has rigged them so that you can bring out and go in his eyes and like I don't know that I could pick up a pair of binoculars forever after without first holding it away and like touching things to make sure it wasn't going to spring out at me. And I guess that's similar to like, you know, boy, we, I remember seeing, and because William Shatner is about to go to space, I've now seen <laughs> wonderful memes that capture this. He has a famous Twilight Zone episode. So this is from 60 that years one. ago, right? Yeah. Where he's, uh, he's flying on the plane and he looks out and sees like a little gremlin out on the wing, tearing the plane out. And he's telling everybody, hey, what's going on? And of course, when they all come to look, it has jumped away and it's gone. And so they think he's the crazy one. And I, because of that, there's a scene where he's kind of calmed down, but he has to check one more time. And he opens up that little thing and the goblin's face is right in the window. And it really is like, ah! And and I, I could not, you know, when you're inside and it's dark outside. And so you have the light from inside reflecting on the glass. And like, I couldn't easily open drapes without expecting to see something staring in at me for years and maybe still today so what a fantastic thing that the guy came up with that image of the sudden it's not just out on the wing now it's looking in at you and i oh man how well done and i'm not the only one people talk about the psycho shower scene that people to this day cannot take a shower without knowing the door is secured they can't get on a plane worrying about the gremlin It's how effective, how perfectly made. You know what I mean?
0: And Twilight Zone (laughs) is such a a masterpiece. It's a national treasure. Uh, Not every episode is great. Uh, There's some clunkers, of course. But the ones that are so good are still so good. I've been watching some of them this month. And I watched one last night that this guy was trying to, uh, he was against immigrants. He was against uh, minorities. And he was wearing almost a Hitler youth outfit and he's, you know, getting the people riled up. And the ghost of Hitler was telling him what to say and what to do. And and I'm watching this going, oh, my God, this could have been filmed two years ago in the past. You know, I'm like everything there, how to rile people up, what to say. So it riles them up without being false, but not quite the truth. And and I'm like, oh, my, this is crazy. And this was 60 years ago that this was made
1: (laughs) exactly i guess so it shows just how effective you know demagogues iconoclasts can be in riling up people playing to their fear of the other playing to their yeah exactly you know what i mean they're coming for your children or whatever else it might be you're right that's that is like if there's anything i know that there's a certain um almost prejudice against watching anything in black and white (laughs) uh, uh amongst people that have are used to color and yet, if there's any reason that you should overcome that, it's to see well, Twilight, Zone. Twilight Zones, well, Old Outer Limits. You know what I mean? Maybe the some- monsters
0: on Maple Street, <laughs> or the monsters are coming to Maple Street. That okay. one is still so good. You Absolutely. Know? Uh, so you're talking about scenes. What about the evil dead when they stomp on the head and the eyeball goes flying right, <laughs> down
1: somebody's mouth, right? I mean, that exactly. one forever. <laughs> you know, so the fact that Sam Raimi and others are still doing things... And that had that, you know, the first guy who did the, the Wachowski brothers, right? No, no sisters that did bullet time in the matrix where yeah. he leans way back and you can see, and like with rifling and everything, yeah, going on that it, everybody that saw that movie said that changes movies. I yeah. need to be able to do that if I'm going to be current and competitive yeah. with how to do cool special effects and stuff like that. So it's, I, um, I think that there's a lot of like some part of scary movies is also you're uh uh, regular people trapped in extraordinary circumstances and so that's very hitchcockian you know there's all kinds of people that just suddenly they're accused and they're on the run stephen king too Uh, stephen king exactly and so that uh colleen has occasionally asked me why am i watching a scary movie or a guns and explosions movie as she likes to talk about it and some part of it isn't i like death it's i think what would i be like would i be able to bear up under pressure would i keep a cool head would i I don't know. I want to fight for the right, but what if you kind of don't know, because that what you thought was right is falling apart around you. You've been lied to, et cetera, et cetera. I right. think there's, I don't know, a, a, a little bit like we were talking earlier about, you know, you got to help people prepare for tough life circumstances in a place where failure is not, uh, the possibility of failure is not lethal. Movies give you that, that you can really say, wow, what would I do if I was in a, in an asylum full of crazy people and you know, could I, Uh, it doesn't matter the specifics. It just is, I think some of it is catharsis of getting that out of you. Some people are, we talked a little bit about this last time, right? that um, some people are oxytocin people where they like the pleasure drugs. Some people are adrenaline people where they like the high of excitement and fight or flight and all that kind of stuff. And very much, you know, horror movies speak to that. And so I have people that like they seem pretty pretty normal, but then when you find out that they like the slashiest of slasher movies, it's maybe because their body chemistry is just such that this doesn't interest them, but this does. Yeah, it yeah. gets a rise out of them. It gets a memorable activity for them. Well,
0: the, so our podcast, uh, that we're not doing movie reviews of common, very popular movies. Uh, we're the, our, our guidelines were movies that are great, but that most people don't even know about. And movies, I that, love
1: that. I love movies. Yeah. Unless you told me about it, I wouldn't know about it. But man, it's high quality, like you're saying.
0: Yeah, and movies that don't have lots of known actors. We've had a few with some people we recognize, but you know nothing with Tom Cruise in it, uh, okay. because that's going to be a, a two hundred million dollar Hollywood big budget movie, yeah. and we didn't want that because everybody does those. We wanted to do different. And then each season, Reese is picking a theme. So season one was friendship which is not what you think about um
1: okay. and
0: and each so like movie a little
1: boy that has a little girlfriend who also happens to be a vampire right. kind of thing, right? which don't, don't let the wrong one in or whatever yes was, right? we okay.
0: watched we watched the uh swedish movie not the american version of
1: that. yes which is the original the, yes. the authentic if you will yes okay
0: <laughs> and and then we discussed the films what we liked it and like and you know we go through and there there's a lot of spoilers fyi but yes. there. Most of the movies on his list I've not seen. So it's him watching them for the second time and me watching it the first time. Then we discuss it, what we notice and see. and i have found it, that some of these movies are so, so good that I watch other movies, and I'm like, well, this kind of sucks compared to this other stuff I've seen, you right. know, And it makes it difficult. And we, we did um a bonus episode of american remakes of some of the movies we watched in season one
1: and how do they bear up to they be- were horrible oh, across man. the board the, okay. uh, now so even though they have that as a template they don't get the essence the the jewel of yes it. they kind of fumble around with it they, oh, and,
0: and we talk about why that is and what american audiences expect that most of these foreign films that we watched are different than and oh. what they changed to try and make it a you know More palatable for American audiences, and for us, it's just not as scary. It misses the point of the movie. The very first one, Martyrs, is not something I would recommend for ninety nine percent of the people I know. It is probably the absolute most disturbing movie I have ever seen in my life.
1: Oh man! And it's
0: only partly because of the depictions and the scenes. It's the the reason this group is doing what they're doing, and They do it so well in the movie, Bring It Out, that Reese even said, he's like, okay, am I a bad person for understanding what they're doing and almost agreeing with them? And I'm Uh, like, oh, I'm glad you said that because watching the movie, I felt the same way. Yeah, Yeah, it's a twister. It's just not something most people should watch and I'll probably never see it again because it's really bad and disturbing. But when you see a movie that makes you think that much and draws you into it, it gets difficult to then go see the next halloween movie or friday the 13th movie
1: right. you know so less it's so derivative. yeah it's so you know i I'm having i don't know i've seen a lot and so one of the things I, even relatively young i think i was aware of is different cultures have different things that they find scary and so and different time periods do so when Stu and i are watching this movie like invasion of the body Snatchers, right and it's like well they're kind of corny but it wasn't corny when you were worried about communist infiltration throughout the United States and that people that you thought were your friends are not, and they're not, you know, as obvious as a spy, they're actually an alien species, pod people and stuff. And, And when you're talking about like big insect monster movies, it's not about big insects. It's about we're using radiation everywhere in ways that we don't fully understand. And what could be bad consequences from that getting out of control I godzilla. Japanese, uh, godzilla japanese godzilla <laughs> japanese movies where wow this little ghost girl comes out of the tv it's a little girl oh what do you, what do you mean that's scary well <laughs> yeah if you see how they do it and how that i don't know japanese have a very different uh, sorry to speak to the stereotype there's a lot of people on a small island and so they have much less privacy and much less um sense of individuality they're much more about the collective and what's good for the collective and when you see horror movies that speak to that and how that can be occasionally a form of madness or that people learn how to abuse that and yeah. use it against others, that I, there's all kinds of manga that I've read that was like, wow, that is so not American. And if I try to put myself in the frame of mind to get this, it really is, wow, I don't know that I would have wanted to grow up like that, where right. be, that you think this is close enough to normal that it might happen. You know what I mean, right? And, and then whether it's I don't know Swedish or German, whether it's South American, there's various different by stereotype things that cultures find spooky. And and during the 60s, or like we talked about, you know, here's the zombie movie, here's the invasion of the body snatchers. 60s, you see the Village of the Dam, and like mm. what's that kind of a metaphor for? Well, youth culture was popping up. People were finally going, wow, we really don't understand these kids. The British Invasion, whatever, mop tops and Beatles and that kind of stuff. But the bad side of that is. We don't know why they're becoming juvenile delinquents. We don't know how to stop it. And what if they weren't just juvenile delinquents, but actually had power, like Children of the Damned, Village of the Damned. It's like fear of youth played out much bigger than you would expect. Right. I'm sure there are books that explain much more than I do and much better understanding and detail. But those are some of the things that I picked up of, you know, I don't know, in the 70s, there was um, black exploitation movies. And like, what would be a terrifying thing for a white person? Oh, no, I'm trapped on the bad side of town, and there's no way out. You know what I mean? That yeah. they just, they spoke to the fears of the times in a lot of ways. That's kind of cool. Horror yeah. movies, like comic books, like any number of other movie genres, are very reflective of the times. And if you want to learn about history, you don't have to read a dusty history book. You can pull out these 10 movies over the course yeah, of these 40 absolutely. years and get, so who were we as a nation from the 1945 to 1985? How did we change over the course of time? what are the, you know, like, um, bear with me, what are the home invasion movies, the, like, um Strangers, or um, The Purge, where yeah, it's like, okay, yeah, the now Purge. we're thinking that government is too big and looming, and our lives are too controlled, but what if there was a specific day that we all could, like, take all the shackles off, and that people that were wronged, that have been helpless to do anything about it, now all the bastards that wronged them, they try to totally fortress themselves because today all the protections is, of society are not in their favor and so that's not so much a horror movie as it is Well, wow, that's like a societal in, in, indictment yeah that's you know a mean? political <laughs> statement <laughs> yeah why do we let those people be in a fortress based on society and get away with the crimes that right. they do so
0: anyway. <laughs> you, you just mentioned how a lot of stories come about you said what if so let's talk what if but let before let me ask have you seen uh, the others with Nicole Kidman, I have not,
1: <gasps> and I've read that that's a really good one. It's a good one. Okay, yeah. Okay. So I see that. Did. one. So and and again, spoilers. From what I understand, it might be one of those things where she's being haunted or something like that. But then you find out that it's the other way around. Yeah,
0: it's very okay. well
1: done. Okay, so because I I that um way back to Henry James, right? The, the turn of the screw, turn of the screw. Where it's like wow this is like you said same with the lottery the craft of how they've written it of how they presented it is so good that you really think you know what's going on right. and then boom the change and then you go well they played fair though they gave all kinds of clues and it really is this and this and this we, we <laughs>
0: talked about that we talked about the turn of the screw because we watched the innocence from 62 i think uh okay. it's a very hitchcockian type movie very well done uh for the time But there's something like 47 different versions of movies based on Turn of the Screw. Based on Turn of the Screw. And when it started, Henry James said it was really just a ghost story. But in modern times, it's turned into a psychological story. And it's changed as we interpret it differently. So we talked about all the differences. And The Others is kind of inspired by uh, The Turn of the Screw, but not really based on.
1: So uh, I'll tell you, you know, what would be a big horror movie for me is like, I really strive for rationality. I think that there really is a real world and that you can come to understand it and stuff. And if I had all those things where it's like, okay, something just happened that I can't account for and it's unnerving, but on I go. And then you keep getting examples of maybe the world isn't as you think it is. It would not only be, well, now the world is scary. It's more like I'm unraveling. I'm, I'm all, what I thought was real in the world might be that I've been living in a simulation or whatever the explanation might be. And to see that, to see things come apart that are so much a core of my being, if you think the world's a benevolent place and you find out it's not, if you think the world should make sense and no, it doesn't have to, right. that would be like a hit movies that stay with you kind of forever. The, the center <laughs> does not hold. Right, exactly. So what if? Oh, the, what um, if? <laughs> did you like it? So I've liked them because I think that they've been Pretty smart about maybe a little bit of wish fulfillment. When people see movies nowadays, they'll often say, "Oh, that could have been better, different, yeah. whatever it might be." And that's what they're kind of playing with is the Marvel universe has a way that it has evolved over the course of these last, let's say, sixty to now sixty years. And and it, when they have there's a body of work, they often use the term canon for like right. here's the original Sherlock Holmes stories. And if you want to be authentic to them, then you have to be like, well, this is who Sherlock Holmes and Watson and Maury already were. And if you do twist to that. You have to make it so that it's internally consistent, even despite the twist, but you don't just throw it all out. You don't have people that don't act at all like Sherlock Holmes and still call them Sherlock Holmes. It's kind of unfair, It's inauthentic. Some part of what I don't like about what if is there's been all kinds of work that's been gone into Marvel and DC universes to make them so that they kind of make sense. They hang together that even long ago to today, there's explanations for, there's through lines in terms of plots characters have developed um and been through some real trials and sometimes came out triumphant and sometimes broke and so but there's still been some sense to it and the latest trend with marvel especially the what if universe is it's that it's that there's a multiverse and that you know an interesting philosophical concept has always been well there's an infinity of universes and every time that you make a decision you kind of fork off another version right. so you know here i am talking to you and there's another version where now we've I've gone off and I've gone to work, but otherwise we're still talking. And so small things, you know, they don't matter. But in the classic, you know, you step on a butterfly back in prehistoric times and it changes everything. I want those changes to make sense. And I kind of want to be able to come back to the real world, knowing that I just kind of went off on a fancy, but I came back. And I'm finding that what if is pretty much saying, no, they're all equally legitimate, that they really are a million different universes where indeed you know the fantastic four were or weren't or that they were lizards instead of people or that and i the creativity that goes into it i guess is kind of cool but as someone who liked getting it all remembering it all seeing how it all hung together and when i would do my comic book talks and someone would ask well tell me about the human torch and I'd like, well there's actually a whole bunch of stuff about the older human torch versus the more modern one and how the vision actually was based on the android that was the original and it Was fun to be able to say that as if it was real, because they were so consistent. And nowadays, people can say, nope, so far as I'm aware, um, Thor is a woman. Their first reading of Thor is as a woman. And there's nothing wrong with that change. But saying that it could be any of these things, that they're all equally authentic, instead of that there really was already 60 years worth of hangs together is the canon. I, I kind of am unnerved. I've never minded big changes. I have hated when the writer artists were so lazy that they just kind of did what I alluded to earlier. We're going to make up a new daredevil. Nothing like the old daredevil. It's just going to use the name. And maybe that's going to be its own startling thing that if the reputation of the old daredevil is what you kind of want to trade on, but then you keep blowing it that you should pay the price for that. But there's not even, it seems, there's not even that level of respect about what would it be like if it was different It just seems to be, we're tired of playing by the rules. We're starting over. We're throwing it all out. And there were some indications of that when they were doing the final crisis in DC and the multiversal collapse in Marvel, that they were, well, now all the worlds have become one. So you do have this weird admixture of Earth 1, 2, 3, and Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew are now part of the official DC universe. And so it made for some cool stories about the mashing together of unlike things but they still tried to play with the torture of someone that comes from another universe and now they're here and nothing is like what they remember it. And so like, they are totally a a, a lost soul, Uh, a man, or woman out of time. My loved ones are all gone. The person that's here. That's not my husband. You know what I mean? Right. Oh man. So I don't know. I, I really valued the continuity cops and the people that, Retcon things in wonderful convincing ways that still worked with past continuity when bucky came back as the winter soldier it was man you are so smart to work all this out and have it have such drama and such impact and so forth it wasn't just saying yeah we're going to make another guy named bucky you know what i mean there was discipline there was brilliance to it and I think that, oh, we're kind of getting lazy or something like that. I, I, yeah, I can see that. It's off, but no, I don't no, no. <laughs> <terrible>. you <turn. laughs> but, but that's
0: part of the problem, too, is the, the movies and now these TV shows aren't connected necessarily to the comics. They're not a crossover thing. So I look.
1: The MCU, the cinematic universe. Yeah. Already is playing fast and loose with comic book canon. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, I think I got broke when they split Star Wars into two different canons and the new Another canon great sucks, example. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so I think that kind of broke me. But really, I, I mean, I love Spider-Man. or Superman's a much better example. It, it go through the run of action comics or Superman comics. And every time, every couple of years, you get a new creative team and they do change him a little bit. His powers alter just a, so uh, right. I mean, I guess it does, the canon part doesn't bother me as much anymore, because arguably, none of these characters have been completely right on canon for 60 years.
1: Uh, right. Yeah, know. canon is the accumulated evolution of them, Yeah, sometimes big changes, and if it's good enough, then they keep it. Once in a while, you, they really will go, well, we're going to make that whole year a dream sequence, kind of like Dallas, right? That right. Just, they don't want to be where we are. They're about to do that with The Matrix, right? From what yeah. I the Matrix 4 is going to pretty much say, we're kind of a sequel to Matrix 1. Yeah. We don't like where 2 and 3 went, so poof. And, and uh, I don't know. I'll have to I, see how it is. I'll have yeah. to see how it is that it's going to earn my saying, really? You're just going to like, make that cease to well, exist? <laughs> you want to talk about that. We
0: mentioned Halloween movies. Uh, the you know the the Halloween movies with Michael Myers that's I'm like, been I don't know yes. yeah yeah the new one Halloween Kills and you know two years ago they had Halloween that's a direct sequel to the first one that's like the third direct sequel to the first one so they have like three timelines in okay exactly it's like- a slasher movie with this much story who cares about canon that's not we don't go to watch it for the canon <laughs> not those you know but so my thing with what if is I loved. Most of the stories, but they never made it completely clear whether they were actually including all of this as part of the canon for the MCU or if it was an alternative, just for fun thing. Uh, Because Star Wars, they took a lot of the old stuff and they're putting it online, but they're calling it Legends, and anything under Legends does not fit into the timeline now. But it's fun stuff to you know. So they never made clear what What If was.
1: If I had to give them an out, I think it is—it's the Watcher because he has the multiversal view, the omniverse, and that he's telling stories that are like what happened in these various different cases. What if you know Black Panther? What if Kang? What if uh, uh, Thor? Et cetera, et cetera. And so it could be that it really hasn't affected the our you know Earth six one six view right. of the Marvel universe. That as long as the Watcher who is uh, uh, unable to intercede as long as he doesn't bring elements of that over, even though he had to actually be, you know, he got into combat. He got savaged by someone. So it it could be that it just is that 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 part of the torture of being someone who sees all and knows all that there must have been times when he was tempted to be like, well, this isn't going well. I should kind of clip this timeline and make sure that the good one happens. And I, I don't know. Maybe it really will not be the high impact stuff that I did when there was a what if series of comic books for a long time. I never had the sense that they were going to try to find a way to work that back into continuity, that they really were saying, "Eh, we went on a flight of fancy and said, you know, what is
0: the woman? Some of that did come in later. They did take some of that and put into the actual canon and stuff.
1: While it was going on. I didn't think so. Right. Right. There were like, and I don't know. I've also always thought I don't, I have different universes in my mind of like, the pulp world of doc savage the shadow operator number five etc that's kind of its own thing and when they occasionally had episodes where doc savage or the shadow interacted with the dc universe or the marvel universe i was like well it's a little shoehorny because it kind of doesn't go together and i i love doc savage so much that i don't mind him making a reappearance but you kind of have to So if there was a doc savage in this world all the time how come nobody in the marvel universe ever bumped into him before in all of these lost civilizations And all of this, he's out there trying to stop crime. The same, well, you are really. When he was, you know, you you had to face this globe-threatening menace by yourself. Doc didn't show up, even though he would have if he was yeah, around. Right. So there was a certain amount of fraying of reality, the reality of comic books, <laughs> by those mixtures. And sometimes they're interesting, and sometimes they're like, oh, that they didn't do it well enough. Right, right. I get my full buy-in or something, you know. So my my, my thing with what if
0: that I think. I think they were mostly trying to do is start to get people thinking about the quantum multiverse and showing Dr. Strange as a very powerful being in that regard. And I think that was their main purpose, which would mean they could say it's part of the canon because all you got to do is say, well, that's another universe.
1: Well, that's another universe. You know, it's dodgy. That's maybe what you just said is what, like nowadays, Any bad story writing, you can just excuse that as well. That's another universe, it it, it just seems lazy. Like I said, it just is like I, I, it is cool that they're moving forward and they really are like, if they're going to make Doctor Strange truly as powerful as he is, you know what I mean? That he has the ability to hop amongst dimensions and timelines and stuff like that, and that you got to hope he's benevolent. Because, for instance, there was a Marvel series where, you know, after the multiverse collapsed. Dr. Doom is the one that manages to save fragments of all different kinds of worlds and uh, uh, societies. And they're all on Doom world. And Sheriff is Dr. Strange because Dr. Strange realizes that the only way to preserve this candor of a world so that it (laughs) could maybe one day become the multiverse again is to ride herd on it so that the most warlike or the most pestilent um societies don't take over everything and destroy everything someone's got to right. be in charge of the roaches of the of the locust and but but dr strange was just like wow i i'm feeling really bad about him saying i'm your man dr doom because i would have thought that he would have didn't always and of course in the series he does turn out to be is he not only working with dr doom but trying eventually to save everything and he just right. had to deal with the lesser of multiple evils while it was going on but you know what i'm saying for dr strange having been benevolent sometimes troubled To actually have them be kind of the, the heavy the bad guy that was a difficult thing for me to face and i'm sure that's why they did it
0: <laughs> yeah yeah <it's> something different <laughs> you know
1: what i mean so <laughs>
0: but the bigger problem is how well is eternals going to do it comes out in like two two and a half weeks or something yep. nobody knows who the eternals are nobody's prepared for them they haven't shoved the eternals in the last Movies and TV shows. We've heard nothing about them except a very esoteric, hard to understand movie trailer. And I know there are some diehard Marvel fans out there, movie Marvel fans going, Who are these guys? I'm not going to go see that movie. That's what DC has done.
1: Come on, Marvel. Isn't that weird and interesting? Some part of what I thought about the Eternals was they're Marvel's version of the New Gods, the Forever People, the whole universe that was created for DC and them being rough equivalents of greek gods and that the reason that we as a human race might have some racial memory of them is because you do have your powerful one and your fast one and your sorcerous one and and you know that kind of stuff and yet i'm i i i i'm such a comic book fan and sucker that i really want to go see what they do but i i haven't seen from the trailer oh that's cool i can't wait to see more Then instead it really seems to be why why did they do this? You yes, I, mean? I, I have. This is a, a huge leap, but I have the same misgivings about this as I did when comic book movies are first coming out. Superman and wow, we're finally going to have comic book movies. They can do special effects, and Marvel with all of its incredible mythology. Their first movie is going to be How are the Duck? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> with
0: with George Lucas,
1: with, with having Spider Man in your stable, with having Fantastic Four, Iron Man, Thor, the ones that have all now become ultra ultra popular our first oops <laughs> was that thank god blade came out you know it's part of what i'm talking about in my comic book um uh, uh uh movie history is thank god blade came out and legitimized that maybe the marvel um body of work you know that they have this incredible mythology that is very cinematic and you could make it into movies but not if they're not making any money not if they die at the box office like howard the duck did
0: right well, <laughs> yeah i i fear for the eternals um, and if they're putting it as a linchpin for this next phase and the next group, and it's supposed to be super important, I don't feel they've set that up. I I, I fear somebody is like, "Hey, they love all our stuff, so just put it out." Yeah. I I don't know because the other problem is Black Widow was so-so. Shang Chi was really good, but not necessarily as memorable as some of the earlier movies. Arguably. Uh, okay. and the tv shows were really good and i love the tv shows but the eternal you know, they they i know they went to the high with endgame so you have to start low again and build back up we I have all new up. people i get all that but i don't think they've been coming out of the stable after two years and just pow pow and everybody's talking about it and loving it and stuff it's been so so yeah. and i fear that the eternals is going to kill things and they're going to have a struggle get back up even though spider-man's right after that
1: that's kind of what i'm hoping is and if you think back you know uh all the marvel movies that went into avengers endgame they weren't all great the first couple hulks were pretty stinky they kept retelling the same story and without the magic actor that was going to make it work like mark ruffalo has done um iron man first one great second one not so good third one no maybe second one good third one not. they they kind of went downhill (laughs) whiplash you know what i mean Like, like that's just not a good enough villain even played by uh, usually a real scenery chewer in terms of why have I lost his name? Um, darn it! Uh, tre- tre- Danny Trelo or something like that. Yeah, it, it's um, machete. It Gary Oldman. Maybe it was Gary Oldman. Oh, Gary Oldman. Played. Was that the guy who played Russian? Um, so, by the way, I just yeah. rewatched *The Professional*, and it's one of the best movies of ever ever. *Professional*. Gary Oldman. Uh, uh, sorry, you know Leon. Who was his name? Why am I Jean Reno? And Natalie Portman as, like, the waif that is far too old for her. Right, right. So back to this, I hope that we'll have that same thing, that maybe we'll have a couple misfires, and that, like, besides uh, um, Guardians of the Galaxy and introducing Adam Warlock and introducing that whole thing, if it's not only about Thanos, there's the Magus, there's various other kind of cosmic beings that figure into how does the universe work? They're bringing Kang into everything. I yeah, think okay. that's their next big bad, and that ability to control time—and that's not dimensionally, really—but if you start saying that different timelines are separate, so I'm hoping that that Guardians of the Galaxy—they really have had high quality. Um, the characters are great. The writing's been great. They just announced who Adam well, Warlock is, and I really don't know that Miles Coulter or something like that. Yeah, do you ever
0: see the movie The Millers with Jennifer Aniston? Oh, no, he, he's not. in that. He plays a goofy a nerd kid and colin told me who it was wow. and i'm like that guy is that, yeah. adam warlock? The,
1: the messianic adam warlock figure. Yeah. that's interesting it's but same. maybe the same like michael keaton became batman nobody suspected from mr mom that he would be a good batman and, and a good vulture and yeah. a, you know he's been various other good things since then so i'm counting on guardians of the galaxy being like in the same way that when it first came out i was like who are these guys Right. Maybe the Turtles will be like that. Maybe Guardians of the Galaxy will be one of those. Okay, it maintains I, I, the standard of quality. I hope I'm so. Sure the Spider-Man movie is going to be great. And it, speaking of, we went and saw Venom 2 over the weekend. Okay. Um, what did you
0: think?
1: because I you've heard my rant before about the symbiotes. Uh, yeah. It yeah. never really moved me. It, it it breaks too many rules. But was this movie good, entertaining? Uh, it was
0: okay. Um it, I it's just not the, that last bit of polish or something to to get it superb. Uh it's it's as good as the first one, I thought, though everybody I went with said they liked it better. But and, and this gets back to story. You know, we talk about the build up and hero's journey. And you know, there are certain things you put in the stories to draw the people in. The problem I saw with this movie was it was really short, it was like 87 minutes, which really? yeah um
1: I heard that okay and That's
0: the a... the thing is once carnage came out the mm-hmm. first time he and venom met was the final battle and then it was over so i'm like wait a second no there's, there's some, multiple they okay. need to meet they yeah. need to fight and venom gets his butt kicked and then there's a problem but he pulls it together and goes back and you know defeats him but no yeah. it was like a, a 10 15 minute long final battle and that's all they did. And they so it, it okay. left me. I was disappointed in that.
1: All right. I, I have not seen that one yet. And in fact, the new James Bond movie came out and I used to be like Thursday at seven and we just, this week when it was too full of stuff and Colleen and I didn't go do it. So probably we're going to like go play hooky at a matinee or something like that because I want to see it, but I don't want to see it with a huge crowd. I want right. to be eating popcorn without my mask on. And so, you know what I mean? But that, I really have liked Daniel Craig's inhabiting yeah. this role and they they really have, I'm looking forward to it. I'm yeah, hoping that too. it's a farewell because I think this is his last one. Yeah, officially, yeah. Right. So uh, that's They're very much on my list. So.
0: Yeah. So who do you want as the next James Bond before we go?
1: I've read Idris Elba. Oh, I would love him as James <laughs> Bond. Presence. He's got like, he's got the calmness, but the ability to like get the job done, even if it's 007 he's kill level. Very, very you know commanding yeah, presence. Yeah, that's what I think. And so and, wouldn't mind that. I'm not sure who else. I'm not sure, like, is there anybody else that steps up. It's uh, is it a young dude like the guy who played in the Kingsman? You know what I mean? Oh Which, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, I I would not
0: be opposed, and people have you know, said oh, this would ruin it. it having a female James Bond. I I think that would be spectacular. There's some ladies out there that would kick ass at that role. Um, and speaking of, they've got the Indiana Jones five coming out. I am. I love my indiana jones i am not opposed to having another person play indiana jones to get a younger doing another story set in the 30s or 40s uh i I think you know i would like to see the character you know like james bond just keep it going i'll
1: Uh, I'll tell you the indiana jones thing the thing that intrigues me is mods mickelson plays like maybe he's the main villain i'm not sure i haven't read exactly his role but i picture him as being a very formidable opponent indiana jones and so I hope that that's what happens there. Yeah, um, yeah. I think we've already seen female James Bond movies. We saw Salt. We saw yeah, Platinum Blonde. We've, right. you know, I mean, we've seen women can indeed kick ass. They are perfectly capable of. Black Widow is yeah absolutely Bond. So if that's the place that they take it, I have no problems with that. There's a certain amount of little tradition of, I don't know, are we going to, are we going to play with, how would a woman have risen through the ranks to be, um. A killer instead of a seducer, because that's so much the stereotype.
0: Yeah, the, the archetype.
1: Exactly that. But again, I'm not. I'm not trapped, and the world shouldn't be trapped in those stereotypes. I would be really curious. You yep. know what I mean? Why not? I agree. I who writes it, and and how well it's done? What I care about was it a good movie? Not, I don't know. Exactly. Boy, there is so much crap going on in fandom about a little bit of what I've been saying with my little rant of well, it wasn't um, canon. It wasn't right. There are people that are like really crazy fanatic about that. And to me, I think it's just a matter of my taste, but I always give the movie a try because if it's of quality, what a great change. Good yeah. for them. Jodie Whittaker was Dr. Who. Exactly. From what I understand, it, they never got as good a ratings with her. No. And so it's going to be, well, is that the reason? It wasn't that she was a bad doctor. It wasn't that you can't have a female doctor. Maybe the world is after five new doctors, however many seasons that they're kind of ready to take a rest or something like that. Maybe the plots weren't as good. I know that um, various different writers, head writers, have had very successful runs, right? Stephen Moffat and, um, why am I not thinking, Russell Davies and stuff like that. And that whoever was the showrunner for this just didn't have as good a run on Doctor Who as these other guys have. And from what I understand, they're bringing one of their main writers back to kind of revive, maybe even rescue the franchise. And if that's the guy that really does understand what Doctor Who is about, what the Daleks are about, what the Cybermen are about, and kind of brings back the essence of it so that it's more successful, I'm okay with that. I sure don't attribute it to being that she wasn't a great Doctor Who. That it was, you know what I mean? I, right, I, right. I, I, hmm. I have my favorite amongst the Doctors Who, and but that doesn't stop me from wanting to see every one of them because right, the whole right. cool mythology is there. You know what I mean? Right, it's, absolutely. So anyway, that's uh, James Bond is comic booky enough. Yes, <laughs> we'll we'll see how that
0: turns out. Absolutely, yeah, it's on my list. There's a lot of good movies finally coming out again. So exactly, uh, but you know you get a lot on streaming now. So that's. Good, I guess. You know, let's 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 become couch potatoes. <laughs>
1: Actually, you know what? I, I know I've said this before. There are certain movies that I really want to see on the big screen, yep. with developing screen and the big sound, and I want to be lost in the movie for two hours, not distracted by the phone or the toilet gurgling or the fact that I'm in my room even with a big TV. I want the spectacle of it. Yeah. And so, any absolutely. Star Wars movie, any James Bond movie, I just kind of want to go. I'm in your hands. Give me two hours of overwhelming energy. Make it worthwhile. <laughs> yeah. Yep, absolutely. One thing I wanted, are am almost done? Yeah, no, go ahead. Last thing I'll say is, so hey, what a cool backdrop. Colleen and I love leaf peeping and peak leaf season. And one of the cool ways in which Geekery enters into this is there are wonderful models of how climate works across the United States. Mm -hmm. And that week by week by week, you can see based on all these readings for temperature, humidity, soil, whatever else it might be, that here is the probable um, early leaf mid peak leaf path post you know, peak and we've been using that to plan trips so this weekend we're going to go to kinsua bridge which I've is in it's nice in pennsylvania at the old railroad trestle that looks out over the valley and this whole valley is filled with a great mix of deciduous and coniferous trees so that it's an explosion of color it's not all orange um like this it's a bowl of tricks where there's all these pockets of different colors. And I just remember it being spectacular. And we're going to go down to Hocking Hills later in the month, because as you know, it proceeds south as we get cooler and stuff like that. And there are certain trails that people are already post- posting pictures where they look really nice. But man, when that's in full leaf, yeah. it's spectacular. And I love that. We hiked in the Cuyahoga Valley National Park this weekend, and it was a wonderful hike, but it was still 90% green. And well, because the crazy. weather's been what very warm. It, it has an unseasonably warm yeah. And that's what you need is warm days and cool nights. And it hasn't been right. plus a little bit of rain, whatever the peak conditions are. But I love the fact that those models give me like, if I go to this county in Pennsylvania right now, it's perfect for leaf season. Not all the rest of Pennsylvania. You got to go to like near Hormel and Allegheny State Forest. And I just think it's very cool. There were times when you'd have to like look up a, a newspaper from last year from The Cancamaugus Highway and say, well, usually it's around October 15th, and you go there on a vacation and hope. So nowadays, it really is that ability to pinpoint, and those kind of models will let you do that are so useful for Aurora Borealis, for leaf changing season, for when are the monarchs, when are the cicadas coming? All that is cool. And yet, we don't have those models for climate change. So, stupidly, (laughs) He's learned that these things really work anyway.
0: <laughs> and that's what you were saying earlier about some of the apps. Cause there's apps that will help you and track all of this and they're very social. So people add to it and input. It's like when I'm driving down using Google maps is that there's a speed trap ahead. Is it still there? Yes or no.
1: You know, everybody going by. Form the world. Exactly. Yeah. We just been based on that, that it wasn't just maps. It was current traffic conditions and that kind of stuff. And that man's co- collective you know consciousness was what made the app work and work because you get all the gas prices you get all the open and closed roads and cool stuff like that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely back all right a bus, man to a thing called all trails where it's like that it, it, it has trail maps that you can actually not only have to connect to the web but download to your phone and like we love going hiking and this gives you the ability to know you're never going to get lost it's aware of where you are it'll tell you whatever misadventure we once had in South Dakota, where we went off the trail and walked far further than we should have. <laughs> and this will be something that will just prevent that further happening. So
0: <laughs> now does that app allow, this is one of the things I do like about some of these apps and the socialness of them is you're on a trail GPS. It's got your point, but then you reach a certain point and it's like ping and you look and there's pictures that other people have taken from that same
1: spot you're at. It does have some of that where it's like, you know, almost step by step. It'd be like, pause at this point and look down this valley and you'll see that this is where three trees came together and made kind of a a, a pickup sticks type yeah. thing if it's still there then it's like well how cool i wouldn't might not have noticed that if you hadn't told me right and if it's fallen over then you're the one that says "Uh, sorry that went down you know what i mean yeah. the mushrooms finally ate it away enough and it collapsed or whatever right, <laughs> right. so cool man oh. Okay, as always, a pleasure. We actually yes. got through some of the things we said we might talk about. We did. Who knew that was possible?
0: <laughs> it was really bad segues, but okay, we'll deal with that. So we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we jumped correctly. All right. Yeah. All right. Later, listening. man. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on geek topics of the week.